Hey, we are going to be in John chapter 14 this morning, John chapter 14, particularly verse 27, which Hattie read so eloquently a moment ago. And we're going to talk about Advent peace or the peace of God. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read this verse again for repetition's sake. And simply, if uh, you're our guest, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading, just to distinguish God's word from my own. It's John chapter 14, verse 27. Here's what the scripture uh, says. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You can be seated. So one of the things that I think about often when it comes to Advent season and this idea of keeping the Advent and thinking about the things that are to come related to the birth of Christ and then all that would come from that and then just waiting on the return of Christ. But one of the things I think about, one episode in scripture that is burned in my brain, like I would have loved to have been there to see this, is the shepherds outside of Bethlehem when the skies split and there is a multitude of heavenly hosts. I mean, I would have loved to have seen that. And, and the scripture records the, the message that they bring. And, and it, it, the, the, the scripture reads like this. They, they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so instantly at the announcement of the birth of the Messiah, we get this ushering in of a sense of new peace, of new sort of order in the world because of the Prince of Peace and his birth in Bethlehem. Now, John chapter 14, verse 27 is, is, is a, a different moment. Uh, fast forward through his birth, his adolescence, his ministry on earth, Jesus's. And now we're at this moment where he's saying goodbye saying goodbye to, to his disciples. He's saying he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, but he's not going to leave them alone. He's going to give them the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. Because this is Jesus' mode, is God with us. So he's not going to leave them alone. He's giving them the Holy Spirit. And as he's saying farewell, he gives us this verse that we come to today, which is, you know, if it was in his native tongue, we would hear the, the greeting that you hear in Israel all the time. It's like shalom. I mean, this is how it starts in verse 27 of chapter 14. Peace I, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. There is no peace like the peace of God. None. Now, a couple of things, a couple of observations that we glean from right here, this just simple farewell message from Jesus, the, the Prince of Peace. So here's the first thing is that peace is a fundamental characteristic of the Messianic kingdom. Uh, from all the way back into the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, a foundation stone of the kingdom of God is peace. 
It's peace. So uh, Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. He came to make peace. He leaves peace with the disciples. If you go all the way back to Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 27, God tells Aaron the priest to bless the people this way. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Um, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, Isaiah prophesies of the coming Messiah. He says, for to us, a child is born to us. A son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So here we have to understand, I mean, these are two short verses, but we have to understand from the very beginning that fundamentally what God has been doing since Genesis chapter three is restoring peace between God and man. His kingdom is defined by peace, both in the the, the present and the future. And the king of this kingdom is the prince of of peace, the ones, the one that the multitude spoke of to the shepherds when they said, uh, "Glory to God in the highest," and pointed them to Bethlehem. This is un, uh, for us important to understand. Uh, theologian uh, by the name of Hoskins says, "The new order, when Jesus is born, the, the new order is simply the peace of God in the world, and that is that is the simplicity of it." Then, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The skies split. The peace of God entered the world in the form of a baby. He grew up to be uh, who you know as the one crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem. The peace of God had entered the world. D.A. Carson, a theologian that I like to read a lot, he says this, and I want to say it just like he says it because it's, it's so well said. It says, at the individual level, this peace secures composure in the midst of trouble and dissolves fear. This is the peace which garrisons our hearts and minds against the invasion of anxiety and rules or arbitrates in the hearts of of God's people to maintain harmony amongst them. This peace of God has an effect on the people of God. And here's the second observation I would give to you. This peace of Christ that is fundamentally characteristic of the messianic kingdom. This peace of Christ is a transcendent peace. Transcendent is just a word. It means above the range of normal. Uh, It's not merely physical, but it's above and beyond anything you can imagine as peace. It's transcendent. It's over all of it. Jesus says this very clearly in John 14, 27. He doesn't give us just any kind of peace. He says, my peace I give to you. And I think this is important that Jesus says, this is peace that comes from me. I am the source of this kind of peace. My peace I give to you. Now, how can anybody do that? give you a peace that's, that's different than every other kind of peace. Well, first of all, he's prophesied and he's the fulfillment of all that prophecy. He is different, even though he's, he is a man walking the planet, born in Bethlehem. He's the God man, the second person of the Trinity. He's always been, according to the scripture, he enters the world in the form of, of a baby. He exits the world crucified, raised again, ascended to the right hand of the father. He's different. And he takes on all of the malice and all of the sin of the world, the things that rob the world of peace, he takes it on like a sponge. 
He soaks it in on the cross and he pays the price for it. And he reverses the order of things. He, he brings a new order and the Prince of Peace then says, my peace I give to you. It's a very different kind of peace. It's a transcendent peace. It's the kind that Paul talked about in Romans chapter five, verse one, that, that issues from something like this. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this peace with God that we're talking about is, is transcendent. It's beyond just having a peaceful relationship with your neighbor or uh, peace in your home. But this is, a, this is a peace that covers all of your sin that justifies you before a most holy God, the only holy God. You know, this, is, this is the kind of peace, transcendent peace that we have in Christ. Now, here's the, here's the third thing that Jesus points out. It says, peace I, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then he clarifies. And this is the, my third observation. The world is powerless to give peace. The world is powerless to give peace. Listen to what Jesus says. <clears throat> peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. You realize the world attempts to broker peace. It attempts <clears throat> to offer peace, but it, it is powerless to give peace. Now the backdrop to this whole, this whole thing, if you're, if you're in the conversation with Jesus in the moment and you're one of the Jewish disciples and you're hearing him give this farewell speech, the backdrop is Rome. The backdrop is the Pax Romana. That, that simply means the peace of Rome. If you're a student of history for any <clears throat> for, uh, ancient, ancient history uh, at all, you understand that the Pax Romana had such an incredible effect on the world, and it came with power and sword and politics. Power and sword and politic. This is the Pax Romana. It would go into an area, it would conquer the area. It would institute the principles of Rome. And man, it would bring economy and it would bring uh, curbs and gutters to dirt roads and, ro and rocky roads. And it would bring opulence and wealth and all of those kinds of things. It would bring class system and guilds, oftentimes work. Um, but the Pax Romana was powerless to offer the people real peace. And this is, the, this is the backdrop. In fact, the Pax Romana would eventually fade out. Uh, in one point in time and history, people, if you had lived during the time of the Caesars, specifically this time, Caesar Augustus, you would have looked and seen the might of Rome, the strength of Rome, the power of Rome. We don't think of Rome, Italy as being a powerhouse today. But that Pax Romana faded out with time and circumstance. It was powerless to offer the kind of peace that only Jesus gives. He says, not as the world do I, do I give to you. Now, why can't the world offer peace? Well, it's, it's simple. There is sufficient hatred, malice, sin, and selfishness in the world that no collective group of humans, no one human apart from Christ, the God-man, no one can broker peace that lasts because of our brokenness, because of our sinfulness, because of our selfishness, because of our, collected sin, our collective sin, because of we live in a, 
in a, in a world that is swamped with anxiety, fear, bitterness, selfishness, hatred. And we react to all of those things. Again, D.A. Carson says it this way, within a biblical framework, the world attempts to achieve personal equanimity or merely political stability, whether by ritual mysticism or propaganda without dealing with the fundamental reasons for strife, which are intrinsically uh, loathsome. And this is the problem. The world can't broker peace because the world does not, from the inside out, have peace. It doesn't rule with peace. It rules with politic. It rules with power. It rules with authority. It rules with uh, <clears throat> lies, it, all conspiracy, all these things. It can't offer the kind of peace that Jesus offers. Now, there is a new peace. We live in the 21st century, right? We're not first century. How many of you realize you're not living in the first century? Come on. You're not living in the first century. You're 21st century. There's no Pax Romana, but there is Pax Americana. There is Pax Americana. It's patterned after the Pax Romana. Uh, I'm, I'm American. Look at me. I'm American. Everywhere I go in the world, they don't have to see my passport to know that. It's an American dude. I love America. I'm grateful to live here. But the Pax Americana is powerless to offer transcendent peace. It's powerless to offer the kind of peace that Jesus talks about. I mean, he says, clearly, I offer you my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. You will not find this kind of peace in any society, in any kind of politic, in any kind of power, in any kind of status, in any of that. You find it only in Jesus. It's not the kind of peace that we get uh, from, from the world. He offers a very different kind of peace. It's a transcendent peace. Now, back to the first century. When you're talking about the first century, there are many Jewish people who wanted uh, the messianic kingdom to use worldly methods to give them a worldly king who would bring worldly peace. I mean, they were shouting for a Messiah, a savior that would throw Pilate out of Jerusalem, throw Herod out of Jerusalem, set up shop on the Temple Mount and rule with power and authority. That's what they wanted. That's not what they got. They got a Messiah who rode a colt in through the Eastern Gate and was crucified by the Pax Romana and the religious caste system. Very different. God was above this. He was beyond that. He was, he was, he was offering a peace that was bigger from, from, from that sky-splitting moment, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those with whom he was pleased. He was offering a peace that was so much bigger than the Pax Romana, so much bigger than anything the world had to offer. And it came in such a different package. Bethlehem, it's a no-name shepherd town. (laughs) Then they go to Nazareth. Nazareth is a word, netzer eth. Netzer is like an olive shoot off of a tree. It's like, like some bird ate an olive off of a tree and flew away and then do what birds do. You know what that is, right? 
And then a wild shoot, this shoot came up. That's, just, that's, the, that's the netzer, the shoot. So Jesus is not only born in Bethlehem, a no-name shepherd's town, but he's from Nazareth. That's that Nazareth, what Nazareth? That's Shootsville. <laughs> that's why they're always saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good? And, and he's just not in the package that they, they want because they want a ruling power. They want peace that comes the way they understand it, the way the world gives it. But that's not how they got peace, and that's not how we get peace. That's not how we understand and experience real peace. Now, here's my fourth observation, and this is what we need to hear, I think, today, because we are living in a time that requires believers to walk in the peace of God, the peace of Christ. So here's the last part of this this verse. I'll read it all again. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Now here's the part I want you to hear. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You realize what Jesus was sending these disciples off to do. I mean, this is a farewell. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Shalom, shalom, my brothers. I'm out. I'll be back. Until then, you get the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. It's going to be better for you anyway. But he's sending these disciples. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to go from Jerusalem after the, the, the resurrection, the ascension of the heaven. They're going to go from Jerusalem two by two, kind of, to to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. The uttermost parts of the earth being Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, which was ruled by, guess what? The Pax Romana. What do a couple Jewish guys who grew up in no-name towns on the north side of Galilee have to offer places like Antioch, like Philippi, like Ephesus, these opulent towns with many gods and so much economy. And then these guys are going to get brutalized and they're going to get martyred for their faith, some of them. And he's saying to them, he knows this. He's the son of God. And he's saying to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And, you know, we see what those disciples did as we study the scriptures. They walked in power, the power of the Holy Spirit. The, The reason that we even know Christ is the work of those disciples those days. But it's going to cost them everything. And he says to them, you know what? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. He's saying to these very young men who would go change the world in the name of Christ. Don't worry. I'm going to give you peace no matter what the circumstance is. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. And they're going to be in some fearful situations, trial, standing before leaders, crucifixion, some of them being brutalized, dragged behind 
horses, that they're going to go through terrible circumstances. And they're going to take steps of faith one by one by one. And through all of this, it says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, we are a people who deal with our hearts being troubled and fear often. Many, many people struggle in these areas. Yet Jesus seems to be saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Sometimes, sometimes when I am afraid, I read a verse like that and I think to myself, well, that's easy for you to say. Anybody ever felt like that? Like, how, how can you say, don't be af- afraid? How can I not be troubled? How can I not be awake at three o'clock in the morning right now on this one? And we struggle with it. But here's some things that we need to get. We can, li- we can live with the peace of Christ, this transcendent peace that is nothing that the world has to offer. We can live with the peace of Christ now, that kind that lets not our hearts be troubled or afraid. Now, now how can this be? Let me give you three ways we can, we can live with the peace of Christ now. And here's the first way. We can live with the peace of Christ in times of trouble. According to the scripture and the testimony of many who have walked with Jesus, we can walk in peace in times of trouble. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, I I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. Now get this, this promissory note right here in the world, you will have tribulation. You will have difficulty. You will have suffering. You will, you will define normal and chase it and never find it. And it will drive you crazy. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So this is a call then to take your eyes off circumstances and fix them on the one who has overcome the world. I, I, I would like to mention that it, 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 it never says that Jesus is going to like extract you from the tribulation, from the difficulty, from the suffering. It never says we're not going to go through that. It simply says that he's going to lead us through it and that we can have a strong heart, a faith-filled heart, a courageous heart, a hope-filled heart because he has overcome the world already. We can follow Jesus and have the peace of Christ in times of trouble. And here's the second way we can live with the peace of Christ. We can live with the peace of Christ as the ruling authority of our hearts. And if you think about this, can you imagine the peace of Christ being the dominant rule over your heart? I hope you have it. But globally, nationally, in many churches, it's hard to see that people have the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts. Now listen to this verse, Colossians chapter three, verse 15. Paul said this to the church of Colossae as an encouragement and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, these are people that the church of Colossae are people that are going to be uh, experiencing persecution because of their choice to worship one God, uh, a risen Nazarene amidst all these other Roman gods. They're not going to be able to work. They're not going to be able to get food as easily, all those kinds of things, because they're not going to sell out to what it takes to be able to do that. They're going to face persecution, ridicule. And, and Paul says to them, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I often think about this, like, what does that mean, the rule in our hearts? I mean, if you're talking about a king who is the sovereign king of the universe, who rose again from the dead, who was born in Bethlehem, just like all the prophecies said, who's coming back again, and somehow this peace of Christ that he offers, the kind that only he can give, can be the ruler of my heart, the dominant ruler of my heart. I mean, there are things that creep into my heart, like anxiety, like fear, like sadness, like, I mean, you name it, right? Those things creep into your heart, but what happens to the heart that is ruled by the peace of Christ is that in the midst of those troubling times, in the midst of the tribulation, when we let the peace of Christ rule in our heart, that's what we're called to, then we can be thankful in the midst, according to the scripture. Doesn't mean I'm never going to feel you know, anxiety doesn't mean I'm never going to feel uh, the weight of a burden of some particular thing, but it does mean that I can go to Christ and again, let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Many, many people struggle with letting Jesus being the ruling authority in their heart. I really believe most of our fear, most of our anxiety most of our, all, most of that, getting, getting ready to get into a two-hour conversation that we should have in 10 seconds. Most of that is a result of sin against us by other people. Most of it is a result of our own sin, things that we do, that we know we do, that we just can't stop doing or whatever, or circumstances that we can't control, Okay. So the wounds caused by the sins of others, our own sin or circumstances that we can't control. And when you have circumstances that you can't control or sins of other people that are affecting you that you did not ask for, or you have your own wounds from your own sin and you're just having a hard time forgiving yourself, letting it go, all those kinds of stuff. If you will turn to the one who took all the malice on himself like a sponge, and let him guide you through. The peace of Christ will rule in your heart. And so this is, this is the Advent peace. So we can trust him and, and walk with the peace of Christ in times of trouble. And we can allow the peace of Christ to be the ruling authority in our heart. And by the way, let me just say this. The only way, you can't just say, I'm letting the peace of Christ be the ruling authority in my heart. From now on. That was a great sermon. I'm going to do it from now on. What are you going to do? A person who lets the peace of Christ rule in their heart is a person that's, that is walking with Jesus every day, regularly. 
on the ups and downs, the worst times, the bad times. She's not waiting for the valley to, to go find the shepherd. She's not waiting for the valley to go find the shepherd. So that means like someone that has the peace of Christ rule in their heart, they find, they find themselves on their face before Jesus every day. They're asking him to fill them with his spirit, his spirit every day. They're reading his words every day. That's how the peace of Christ rules your heart. It's not just like, uh, I'm deciding. Let the peace of Christ rule in my heart today until tomorrow (laughs) when something crazy happens, you know? So this is a step-by-step, day-by-day love relationship with Jesus and uh, and spending time with him that allows the, the, the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. And here's the third way. We can live with the peace of Christ also this way, as a guard for our hearts and minds. So I'm going to point at Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul said to the church of Philippi, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, that word for guard is a word that says to keep our hearts and our minds. So we're talking about not only allowing the peace of Christ to rule in our heart, but letting the peace of Christ keep our hearts and minds, guard our hearts and minds. I think for me, so this is, this is what drives me crazy about conspiracy. Sometimes people are shady and doing shady stuff. And it's true. There's, there's no conspiracy. But to believe and to propagate conspiracy, when, when, it, when that happens inside the church, the thing that troubles me as a pastor is that we are not allowing the peace of God to guard our, our hearts and our minds. And probably I just ticked some of you off. And I'm okay with that at this point. It's not a feeling that I have. But it's legitimate when we understand that as disciples of Jesus, the paramount ruler of our heart is the peace of Christ that comes from knowing him. The paramount guard of our heart and our mind is the the peace of God, the peace of Christ. That when we go through times of trouble, we don't propagate conspiracy, but we connect with Jesus and we exude the peace of Christ. So then we become, guess what? The calm in the room. Because we serve the Prince of Peace. Not propagating fear. I'm not going to be used like that. Oh, look for truth. You, as a follower of Jesus, have complete and total access to the peace of Christ. I love um, talking with the most senior adults in our church and really in the community because I I realize I have a limited perspective. Everybody has a limited perspective to a degree, but I I realize, you know, at 47, I have a limited perspective. I thought I knew everything when I was 27. At 47, at least I realized I don't know everything anymore. I've learned enough to know. I just don't know what I don't know. But I love talking to senior Adults, the, the ones that have lived 70, 80, 90 years, because they lend perspective. 
they bring to the table, especially the ones that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, they bring to the table what they always bring, calm. Did you talk to somebody who, who walked through the depression? You find out they made it all this time. If you, if you uh, across the street from me lives a World War II veteran, still, like, this guy is old, old now, like, 90-something, and uh, can't do it anymore, but, but for many years, I've lived there 10 years, for the first five, six years, on Memorial Day and Veterans Day, he would come out in his uniform, stand on the road. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, Bill, how's it going, man? He's like, I can still fit in my uniform. I was like, you're right. And he just tells stories. That's what he wanted to do. Awesome, dude. You know? This brought calm. People go through stuff. Jesus people, when they go through stuff, they exude peace because they serve the Prince of Peace. Because they know they're going to go through times of trouble. They see in the Bible that all, all God's kids go through times of trouble and that God offers a peace that passes understanding. And remember Aaron's blessing. Lord, bless you and keep you and make your face shine on you and be good to you. May he lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Now that his countenance to you is really important because that's his presence. That's his face. You will find peace with God and peace for the tribulation and peace that passes understanding. You'll find the peace of Christ in the presence of Christ. Doesn't mean you won't have any troubles. Doesn't mean you'll never have any fear or anxiety. It means you will find peace in his presence. This is Advent peace. This is the sky splitting moment. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just simply ask the Lord to speak to you and to usher in peace in your life, in your family life, in, in the life of this church, in the life of this nation. Lord Jesus, we are aware of our need for peace. There are times that we cry like Jeremiah, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But Lord Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. You were born right where you said you'd be born. You lived how you said you would live. You died how you said you would die. You rose how you said you would rise. You will come back again like you said. You will come back again. You offer us peace that passes understanding. Peace that comes from you. Not like the world has to offer. And because of that, Lord, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters, my friends, my family, all who are hearing this. Would you allow them to experience this day the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. Take away deep senses and feelings of trouble and replace it with peace. As we go through troubles, we go through difficulties, we go through suffering, 
Lord, guide us and let us be near to you and give us a sense of peace. Father, collectively help us, the church of Jesus Christ, to be uh, peace givers, brokers of peace, people that know the Prince of Peace and that walk in peace and become the calm in the room. Fill us with your spirit that we might uh, point others to Jesus. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.